What's going on, guys? Welcome to a long, long-awaited uh, return of Hi-Fi Hour. I haven't done a Hi-Fi Hour in quite some time, um, and I'm very, very happy to have my buddy Ian White. Well, he's over here. Ian White from Ecoustics.com. Uh, Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Michael. It's uh, it's it's raining a little bit here on the shore today, which is you know perfect weather leading into Thanksgiving. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been a lot, I mean, this is the worst week for any tech journalist that, that, that 10 days into black Friday is like, it's, it's torture. And this morning I woke up and I saw that we had published our 82nd article of the month mm. with 17 more to go between now and Friday. And I was sort of, I went outside and I screamed like really, really loudly. And I'm sure my neighbors here in Long Branch were like, oh, that white guy's murdering people again. Um, but, but it was just, it, it, you know, it's just, it, it's just COVID has kind of like flipped things on its head, both in terms of obviously, you know, the world that we live in, but, mm -hmm. you know, the industry for sure. But then also on, on the journalism side, COVID has forced publications to make some, you know, pretty drastic changes. And, you know, acoustics were not immune to that you know, either. I mean, it was, it's part of the deal. Now, I recently started writing for StereoNet um, uh, as well. So I kind of kind of know what you're talking about, but I've, I've never <laughs> you have much more of a tenure in this in this business than I do. I have I have two months in. You have what, 23 years, 23 years in the business of writing. Uh, now, tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, way everybody okay. in the audience can, can know who you are. So um, I started actually in 1998 with Soundstage.com. Um, Doug, uh, Soundstage sort of publisher and founder, Doug Schneider and I are both originally, well, Doug's still there, but are, we're both originally from Ontario. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a, I was a Toronto kid. Doug's an Ottawa guy. And we met online. I don't even, I don't remember if it was a bulletin board. Like th that, that kind of gives away how old Doug Schneider and I are. Um, and we met and Soundstage was sort of like in its first year. It had just sort of started as an online publication. And, you know, it was obviously trying to compete against all of the print magazines, you know, that were very established. So Stereophile, Absolute Sound, um, What Hi-Fi and, and a number of Canadian magazines, because there were a number of really established Canadian Hi-Fi print magazines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and Doug had this idea. I'm going to create really the first online, you know, digital magazine in regard to high-end audio and video and acoustics where i'm now editor-in-chief you know came around only like a year or so later so soundstage mm -hmm. is slightly older than acoustics but not by much mm. and you know and then over the years um i've kind of you know been very involved as a journalist in the hi-fi space um, i'm actually a scientific copywriter as sort of like my real day job and you know, people will laugh at that because it seems like, you know, Ian White is publishing, uh, you know, 20, 30 things a week. How can they have a day job? But I'm just I'm just built that way. Um, and, you know, so over the years, I've I started Soundstage. Um, I migrated over to enjoy the music. Um, I've been friends with Steve Rockland forever. Like Steve's probably one of my oldest friends. In, in I the know industry. Steve. Yeah. He's yeah, good Steve, yeah, Steve is Steve is good people. And, and then I left the industry for a while to focus more on the day job. And then um, I wrote for Big Picture, Big Sound, which was a home theater magazine based out of New York, uh, started by Chris Boylan, another guy actually who I met um, at Enjoy the Music. And Chris and I have been friends now for also about 20 plus years. And, and then I sort of, um, I did a little bit of marketing for some companies in the industry, decided I didn't really love that aspect of the business. And then I went back into my day job and then Gear Patrol, I think the, the moment that kind of got me back in, Gear Patrol hired me a number of years ago to start writing their high-end audio content. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. because because Gear Patrol, like a lot of product journalism type online publications, um, you know, we're really focused on more of the Sony, Sonos, Bose sort of you know products of the world. There wasn't really a high end slant. And they brought me in. And so then, of course, I I had my day job. I was also writing for Jazz Is. And then COVID hit. Mm. And and everything went to, like, crap in a span span of about a month. You know, and and then, you know, um, Brian Mitchell, who is the owner and uh, publisher of Acoustics, um, reached out to me sort of like during, the I guess, the pandemic here in the U.S. and said, you know, I've been reading your stuff in various magazines. Uh, I think you might be the right the right person to kind of take acoustics on a very different path. Mm-hmm. And so over the last year plus, I've completely transformed um, acoustics away from being like a news mag. I mean, acoustics really started as a news aggregation site mm-hmm. for high end audio. So back in the day, if you wanted to find, you know, all the articles on high end audio, you would go on acoustics and Brian would publish, you know, 20, 30 things a day from other magazines. But it wasn't really original content oh okay so acoustics did really really well for a very long time and then um, google changed its algorithm and you know punished websites that did not have original content and so yeah absolutely so so i kind of came into acoustics with a fresh set of eyes you know having done you know product journalism for gear patrol for a number of years and you know we've just completely you know flipped the magazine on its head i mean the last the last 13 months acoustics has grown and exponentially in terms of our traffic um we're now top 20 in terms of overall in terms of like online websites in terms of audio video stuff like we've gone from kind of you know a little quiet to now you'll see our stuff everywhere and you know we're getting picked up by i mean apple news picked us up and that, that was a huge thing to have apple news pick up the magazine because that expanded our audience um in a big way Right. So, so it's it's been it's it, it's been an 18 months like everybody else. I think, you know, people have, you know, manufacturers have both done really well and they've also struggled. And I think some are struggling now because of supply chain issues. I know we're going to talk about that, um, you know, and also I think the big thing that has changed is that, you know, I view myself as as a journalist and, and I was always going to be a journalist, um, you know, YouTube and you know podcasting has obviously completely changed the world of journalism and you know and i think what we've learned over the last two or three years is that it's very very hard for a publication to grow anymore unless it has a combination of all three i mean i think you have to have you have to have the digital content like we do sort of on a daily basis three or four Mm -hmm. news stories a day you need the youtube channel you need to have podcasts or the type of video cast like we're doing right now you know, and that's really the only way that hi-fi publications are going to survive going forward, because I think, you know, the audience also has changed. Right. I mean, I mean that, that's the biggest thing I would say, because I'm 51. So I started writing about hi-fi in my 20s. You don't look it, buddy. Well, okay, I feel it, believe me. Um, you know, I have three I have three kids, 19, 15, and 8. So I, I, I definitely feel it. So um, 8? Yeah, I have an 8-year-old. I have an 8-year-old. You had that one late? Uh, that one was sort of a Hurricane Sandy baby, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and because uh, I, I live on, I live on the shore, so the Jersey yeah, Shore, huh? I live on the Jersey Shore, where Hurricane Sandy came uh, came ashore. Uh, and, I, I do remember that, yeah, yeah. That that, that wasn't a fun month, um, you know. So it just, you know, I just think that you know, obviously, 
I think one of the things that has also changed that's very positive, like things that like you're doing sort of, you know, with your channel and what you're doing with YouTube and Instagram. And that's the other thing we have to talk about is the, you know, the influence of Instagram and social media with sort of, you know, high end audio and, you know, home theater press. Um, the, the age the age of people who are looking, looking at our content has dropped tremendously. And, and that's the best thing that could ever happen mm -hmm. because I think the complaint over the years has always been, that traditional hi-fi publications and home theater publications only appeal to a very narrow niche of customers, you know? And so like, unless you fall into that white haired 50 plus male demographic, you know, that's who, I mean, stereophile and absolute sounds, you know, readership for, mm -hmm. for the last what three or four decades has been 50 plus white or, you know, or Asian audiophiles. I mean, that's, that's been their market. And, and now, you know, YouTube and social media and podcasting has allowed people who are much younger, people in their 20s, to sort of jump into sort of the audio press, which I think is a positive, and, you know, and start to actually spread, you know, sort of knowledge in the audio gospel to their generation. And because I mean, because that's the only way this industry is going to survive and grow long term, because anyone who thinks that, 25 and 30 year olds are going to listen to, you know, 50, 60 year old, you know, old geezers like me for the rest of their lives, you know, is kidding themselves. You know, I mean, it's like I mean, our time, our time has sort of come and gone to a degree. I mean, I, I realistically don't think I'll be writing about audio five years from now. I, it, it's not it's, it's not it's not in the game plan. Um, so it's like, you know, there's an opportunity for people who are younger, you know, who can write and, and who can produce videos and podcasts. I mean, that's where the future is. I mean, it, it, I mean, to pretend otherwise is naive, stupid, and like, you know, pretending, you know, sticking your head in the sand. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the, well, I mean, that's a wonderful uh, background. So obviously you've had your, your um, interest in different things and now you've settled on, on hi-fi and, and it seems like you keep want to keep, want to want to scale your 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 skill set and stuff like that because you said only five more years of hi-fi then who knows what's what's in the cards for you right um I, I mean i realistically think that i mean i actually come from a radio print television background before i was doing mm -hmm. hi-fi so so I, I sort of i always wanted to do sort of podcasting i mean I, I, the other thing that's been a big change at acoustics is that i mean we, we have you know a sort of like a not weekly i would say a twice a month podcast you know, and it's on Spotify and Apple Music and, 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 and iHeartRadio, anywhere, anywhere you need to find a podcast that exists at this point. So I feel the most comfortable actually behind the mic and mm. as, as much as I enjoy writing. I mean, like the big joke in the industry is that I must be a replicant, you know, and, and people always look for the, you know, the, the Blade Runner Funko Pop behind me in, in most of the podcasts because, you know, I'm, I've, I've written almost 500 articles this year already. Bro, and how do you okay, okay, let me let me stop you there. How uh in the comment I made about Stereonet earlier was about me. I actually write for stereo <laughs> I, I actually write for Stereonet now. Yeah. So um I, I'm trying to understand just from the few, you know, the few uh publications or a few published articles I've done for them, how are you pulling off those numbers? I mean, I find myself with fifteen hundred words. Let's say fifteen let's say fifteen hundred words is probably what the average a smaller review like 1500 yeah. 2500 man 
it is hard to write 1500 words about certain things, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would say, okay. So I would say in our case, I have blended a mix of both daily news features, how to articles, interviews, mm -hmm. reviews, and sort of buying guides. So, 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 mm -hmm. so, so, I, so I think the key is to kind of mix it up because, Diverse, because quite oh, frankly, yeah. you know, the audience for certain things is different. I mean, I would say I also changed our focus. I, I think the biggest difference is that after 20 plus years of writing about high-end audio and home theater, I sort of came to the real realization that, you know, who am I writing for? Because, I mean, because where I am now as an audiophile and videophile at 51 is not where I was in my late 20s when I started. And, and I didn't have a wife and three children and a mortgage and, you know, college tuition and private school bills. So, you know, when I was 28, you know, and I, and I had a really, really good day job and I could afford to spend $30,000 Canadian on a stereo. You know, my, I guess my focus as a writer was on that segment, you know, really, because also, you know, there's this tendency in the industry for, for a lot of new writers to want to get their hands in all the candy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, because who doesn't want to review a $20,000 speaker or, you know, $10,000 turntable? The right. truth of the matter, the truth of the matter is after all these years, um, I could care less about that segment of the industry. Um, I changed our focus at the magazine to systems under $10,000. And there's the occasional, you know, if you add up some of the things that we're writing about, maybe, you know, you could put together a $15,000, $20,000 system. But by and large, I have changed the focus. Um, you know, I know some companies were a little annoyed with me when I did that because they were like, well, then we have nothing to send you. And I'm like, that's fine. Send it to Stereophile, send it to someone else. <laughs> yeah. But But it's kind of like, I don't think I'm doing the industry um, any favors by writing about the same things that everyone else is writing about. I would rather focus on the things that have really, really grown our traffic, to be honest. Um, vintage audio has been an enormous source of traffic. I have to say, I know there are people who hate when I post vintage, vintage audio articles on the website or when I talk about it on social media. Vintage audio is the most read part of our website. And, hmm. and a couple and a couple of manufacturers didn't believe me, and I showed them the statistics, um, the the sort of the, uh, the the data from the last eighteen months, and they were kind of like shocked by how articles about like thirty year old speakers or forty year old amplifiers are outdrawing reviews of their new products, and and then I shifted our focus more back to vinyl, mm -hmm. um, covering. I mean, obviously, I mean, twenty twenty one is going to be the best year for vinyl sales in twenty five years. And then also I shifted our focus also back more to, you know, personal audio with headphones. So uh, I'm, I'm not targeting the same people. I mean, because the people that I write for, or, you know, I, I, that I wrote for on Gear Patrol were like 35 to 55 year old sort of, you know, white dudes with a lot of disposable income who wanted to know like the cool headphone to buy to go with their Lululemon, you know, yoga pants. I mean, like, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not part of that crowd. I'm more, I'm more of the outdoorsy type, but. You know, men uh, wear, men wear that, men wear that. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But, um, but it's kind <laughs> of like, yeah, but, but, but it's kind of like, I realized that there was sort of this totally different audience mm -hmm. who were interested in getting into high-end audio, but they looked at the things that we were reviewing that were, I mean, like, I mean, honestly, what 25 year old cares about a $10,000 pair of speakers? I mean, come on. You know, and, and then they wonder why, like, there's no younger audiophiles. Right. It's, be it's because of the fact if you say to someone, well, the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the point of entry 
to be an audiophile is you got to spend twenty thousand dollars on your first system. People are like, okay, pass. They're priced out of the segment. Yeah, and yeah. and also, and people wonder, like, actually, like we have a review this morning on the website of the Odyssey LCD five headphones, and you know, and I mean, I'm 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 an Odyssey user, so I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be thrown in shade at Odyssey this morning, but you know, forty five hundred dollars is a lot of money for a pair of I, headphones. I actually saw that article this morning. You know, it's, it, it's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So, I mean, and, and you know what? I, I thought the the fifteen hundred, you know, for the Arias were was e- extreme, you yeah. know. I, I, but I mean, they sound fantastic, yeah. right? But fifteen hundred bucks for a pair of headphones is a commitment, you know. Forty five hundred is that, like, yeah, that's more. Yeah, you're, you're selling a kidney for those, right? You can, you can get yourself a full blown hi fi system for that price. Yes, you, yeah. See, but also I would make the argument, though, that and I think, you know, there's been pushback already against Odyssey on the price. And, and I think that's slightly weird because they're not necessarily the most expensive headphones that you can buy. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, let me let's not pretend that, you know, Meze Audio. I mean, I love I love my 99 classics, but I mean, but let's not pretend that the Meze Audio Elite are not super expensive or the Imperian or, you know, um, Dan Clark Audio Stealth are not a ton of money too. So, you know, Odyssey does not necessarily deserve to get, you know, heat for being like the lone brand in the right, headphone right, space. Right, right. Sure. But, but 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 I would say this. The headphone crowd is very different in my mind than the, the traditional high-end audio crowd. Um, you know, over the years I've been lucky. I've been, I've gone to a lot of the CanJam events in California, I mean, there's, there's been there's been a few here in New York, um, not not as many in the last couple of years because of COVID. But mm-hmm. um, you know, the the person who's going to spend forty five hundred dollars on a pair of Odyssey LCD five is really really committed to headphones as their primary device in terms of hi fi. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to have a linear tube audio or Amson sound or um, a Burson or a, any really high-end headphone amplifier to go with it. And they're probably going to have a decent DAC to go with it from, you know, a myriad of brands, whether it's Shit Audio, you know, Denifrips, I mean, Cord. I mean, there's so many different products. They've made a commitment that they're willing to spend, let's say, $10,000 mm-hmm. on a really, high end, really high-end desktop headphone rig. That is their stereo. Right. You know, so, so on the so on the one hand, I you know it's weird to bash Odyssey for a forty five hundred dollar pair of headphones because where is the high end press saying to some of the loudspeaker companies, well, you guys have two hundred thousand dollar pairs of speakers, mm-hmm. and, and and literally the percentage of people on the planet who would ever consider a pair of two hundred thousand dollar speakers is probably you know small enough to fit it in my house, right. you know, like if you, if you crammed them in, like that that would be it, you know, right. so. It's like I don't really fault Odyssey for you know charging forty five hundred dollars on the LCD five because there's a market for it at the top end of the headfi crowd. I mean, I, I mean, Sankar from Odyssey didn't just wake up like in the middle of COVID and say, "Yeah, I'm going to make the next, I'm going to make my next pair of headphones forty five hundred dollars." You know, they have a wide range of products. No one's forcing you to spend forty five hundred dollars on a pair of headphones. You know, and like, I mean, I'm a hi-fi man guy like you. I mean, I, I have mm-hmm. I have multiple pair of hi-fi man headphones at home. I use the uh, Sundara almost like on a daily basis. It's like my go-to. I don't think I spent more than a couple hundred bucks on those. Right. You know, 
So it's kind of like I don't fit in necessarily into that extreme HeadFi crowd. Sure. Um, I mean, I love headphones. You know, I've yeah. been a headphone listener my whole life, but I, I would I would not live to my next birthday if uh, if I walked in the house, you know, with a pair of uh, Odyssey LCD fives and said, "Hey, honey, look what I got!" And then she said, "Oh, how much are those?" I'm like, "Forty five hundred dollars." They'd find my body buried somewhere in Fresh Kill in Staten Island, which is where my wife is from. Oh, um, yeah, so it's kind of like you know, the, the, to me, to me, there's a lot of cool things that are going on in the industry, but I think you have segmented markets now. I think if it, certain groups have sort of already split off, mm -hmm. um, you know, and look, COVID, COVID has been a really, really weird experience for everyone in the industry. I mean, from a, from a manufacturer's point of view, the first couple months of COVID were really rough because number one, the trade shows that were scheduled to take place, you know, sort of in like April, May, June of 2020 were all canceled. Yeah. So if you're a manufacturer and you had all these great new products that you wanted to show the hi-fi press and and consumers, you know, that opportunity went out the door. Like, I mean, it, it was done, you know? Well, here, then, here's, here's the issue with the new products is that because of COVID, we had that shortage of, of uh, you know, parts, of chips, of all sorts of things, even. And, and then the prices of things went up exponentially, like the price of um, obviously uh, shipping, containers yeah. from you know asia to here which i mean if people don't know a lot of companies use asian parts in there and there's it could be engineered here in the u.s but it's just more it's just cheaper to to outsource to to china um and as well as the the silicone chips silicone chips right. are uh, were, uh you know that was a disaster in and of itself so some companies were forced not to innovate and the ones that were innovating it seems that you're right because of lack of of just press and and lack of uh actual physical contact with the with the product at a show or you know at an event or something like that really really messed things up you know um but however i've heard from several companies i'm not gonna name any but i've heard from pretty much every company i've talked to that they've had that the year that COVID hit, um, you know, it was it was actually a really really good year for them. Yeah, you know, sales, sales wise. Yeah. So, but but now they're kind of out of everything, and they're like, oh crap, we just sold out. Of <laughs> right, now. exactly. And now we don't we don't have the parts to build anything. So what do we do now? You know. Well, I mean, also, I mean, the fact that okay, so let's let's sort of focus on North America because you know mm -hmm. because we're we're based here. So movie theaters closed. Sure. So, you know, so obviously if you can't, and I, I'm, I'm an enormous movie theater guy. In fact, according to AMC, I, I might actually have the record so far during COVID for the most viewings in an actual theater in the last 18 months. <laughs> um, uh, I've, I've been to over 60 new films since theaters reopened. Like, like, I mean, I was like, I was crying when movie theaters closed because movie theaters are what got me into this hobby to begin with. So um, home theater companies have had the best, you know, 18 months they could ever mm -hmm. have imagined because if you know if you have a couple hundred million people who are locked down at home, there's not much to do other than doing Zoom with your kids online. You know, working remotely at the right. kitchen table and basically watching Disney Plus for 18 months. So, yeah. you know, so home theater home theater sales have been unbelievable. I mean, the, the I I mean I have a pretty good relationship with a lot of brands that are focused specifically in the home theater space. And the supply chain issues could not have come at a worse time because 
the demand for their products has never been stronger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then also if you look at, I mean, obviously the, the, the category that's grown the most has been obviously vinyl and, you know, turntables, funnel stages and cartridges. And everything was moving along quite swimmingly in the record space, aside from the fact now that a lot of the pressing plants have massive delays, but companies that make turntables suddenly started having problems. Mm-hmm. And I won't name a particular manufacturer based overseas that sells a lot of turntables, but um, they started ha- they started having supply chain issues of of a, of, a, of, a, of a nature serious enough that the backlog on their products sort of grew to almost six months in length, and and if you're a retailer and you have you know hundreds of orders for turntables at a time when like all these young people are finally buying their first decent turntable and you're like yeah it'll it'll, it'll get shipped in like three or four months or it's sitting in a shipping container somewhere in Southern California or you know in Houston. And we have no idea how that table is getting to the dealer in Toronto. Um, that's where the problem sort of is now. And, mm-hmm. and then also the fact is, you know, the, the DAC chip problem doesn't obviously just apply to audio video. I mean, automatic, automa- I mean, drive by, drive by any car, you know, car company, drive by any, you know, car dealer. Um, I have like 20 car dealers within like a 10 minute drive of my house here on the shore. And their parking lots have been largely empty mm-hmm. for three or four months. You know, so, you know, the, the chip shortage affects medical equipment, it affects, um, you know, computers, it affects televisions, it affects cars, appliances. I mean, walk into Best Buy the last couple of months. I remember I tried to buy a new dishwasher the last couple of months and Best Buy was like, do you see the floor samples? I said, uh-huh, we'll give you a good deal on one of those. Jesus. You know, so. Uh, I'm still waiting on a, on a PS5. Oh yeah, good good luck with that. <laughs> good luck with that. I already told my kids that's not coming for Hanukkah this year. Oh, I'll um, tell you, I'll tell you <clears throat> we were just excited to be able to get uh, an Xbox Digital Edition. They didn't even have the 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 disc drive edition. There was a digital edition, which turned out to be not so good. And uh, oh really? Man, it's the, oh it's not good. No, the <clears throat> the frames per second were actually better on the the, old one. the, the Xbox One S I had. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> it was just a better gaming experience. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, gaming, actually, gaming is another interesting category because gaming has started to really sort of bleed over into the high end space. Right. Because, you know, because actually, just going back to Odyssey for a second, Odyssey made a really smart move a couple of years ago. I, I, I think, you know, they sat down with the bean counters and they said, how many audio files exist in the world? How many people are willing to spend over $1,000 on a pair of headphones? Um, how many people under the age of 30? play video games at home <coughs> right and you know over 30 <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah right exactly exactly so so no but i mean odyssey i mean i remember i went to an odyssey event here in new york city in the summer w- when they introduced their carbon uh electrostatic speakers and also their um very interesting and specialized um, um speaker uh, speaker headphone and microphone system for mri machines um if, if you yeah, yeah odyssey has a really fascinating MRI headphone that they're trying to sort of use to break into the medical space. And it's, it's that's worth, cool. it's, it's worth looking up yeah, and right. yeah, it's very cool. And Odyssey decided years ago, we have to go really, really hard into gaming um, mm-hmm. be, be, because they realize there are millions and millions and millions of people who will never be audiophiles, but will potentially spend three to $500 on a gaming headset, a gaming headphone. Right. And, you know, and I gave birth to, oh, I didn't give birth. My wife gave birth to one of those. But, um, you know, I have a 15-year-old son. 
you know, who sits downstairs here in my office in the man cave and he's, you know, he's playing his Xbox, you know, almost to the point where I want to like hit it with a hammer. Um, <laughs> and it's sort of like during COVID when they were, they were in school virtually here um, in New Jersey for months. I mean, I think my, my, my kids were out of school for five months. It was kind of like he would play 40 hours a week on his Xbox. You're kidding. And, yeah. And it was like, it was, I think, psychologically bad for him as well. But it was sort of like I said to him, do all your friends do this? Like, do you guys all have like fancy headsets? He goes, no. He goes, I'm the only one who doesn't have a fancy headset, which mm-hmm. for me, which for me was kind of shameful being the editor in chief of a, you know, of a hi-fi yeah. magazine. So, I mean, so now he has, you know, now he has the Odyssey Mobius and he has the Penrose. And I said to him, like, do you think like your friends would probably have their parents buy like $500 gaming headsets? And he's like, all of them. Like, he, he's like, it's not even like a question. <laughs> and and it's kind of like you know I mean um, Bayer Dynamic is getting into the gaming headset world. I won't be. I mean I'm sure Sennheiser, AKG, and everybody else is going to have you know their gaming headsets you know relatively quickly if they don't right. already have them. And that to me is an opportunity because one of the things that's kind of cool about the gaming headsets is that you can detach the microphone mm-hmm. and you can take the headphone with you. And, you know, my, my son is obviously a bit of an anomaly because, you know, he lives in a house, you know, filled with stereo gear. But, you know, I, I had him plug in his Odyssey um, headphones into my laptop with like a dongle deck. And I had him listen to the music that he likes on Spotify. And he was kind of looking at me like, I didn't know this. Like, hmm. like when did this happen? Yeah. And I was kind of like, well, I don't know, forever. And, and you've been surrounded by hi-fi your entire life. But he, But he's kind of like... I got to tell my friends about this. Like, where do like where do we buy these little, what are they called? Dongle decks? Like, you know, because as, as teenagers, they you know they started laughing like a bunch of idiots. But you know, but but they were kind of like, you know, how much are those? Right. So 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 I do feel that there's an opportunity, especially with um, the gaming crowd. You know, who are obviously probably you know the Spotify crowd as well. I mean, I don't think they're obviously the title or Kobas crowd, but they're definitely right. they're definitely the Spotify crowd. Mm-hmm. And they all have cell phones. I mean, my freaking son has a more expensive cell phone than I do. I mean, he's got the latest, you know, iPhone. Um, well, a quick question for you: uh, Any word uh, that you've heard down the grapevine as to when Spotify High Res is coming? Okay, yeah, that's a that's a that's a very loaded question. So, you know, Spotify promised end of the year, and yeah, we're so we're, we're yeah. in the last. The final countdown here. <laughs> so actually, so Spotify, when they announced Spotify Hi-Fi, also launched, you know, the, the Spotify car thingy. Spotify has a special plug-in device that you can add to your car. Really? That, yeah, that looks like, almost like a, it, like like an iPhone turned this way. It's tiny. Like it looks like, it's essentially like something you plug into the USB port, you know, for, and then for power, mm-hmm. and then you're using Bluetooth, you know, gotcha. to sort of, you know, to transmit to, to the rest of the car. And so... That was a way to sort of put Spotify, you know, natively on a device that you plug into your car. And another way for Spotify to provide you with sort of a closed ecosystem of news and, and you know, music videos and all that kind of stuff. But they promised Spotify hi-fi. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, Billie Eilish did a whole freaking video with mm-hmm. like, you know, what was it, her brother? And, yeah. and she talked about how much, you know, she loves, you know, better quality sound, how, how important it is for her to listen to her music, the way she recorded it in the studio, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, almost nine months, 10 months have gone by and Spotify Hi-Fi is a no-show. 
Now and nobody's talking about it, and nobody said it has. Yeah. Said oh yeah. Well, because first of all, everyone's scared. You know what? Of Spotify, um, right. but you know, but then you know, Cobas, Title, Amazon Music, and Apple, you know, all took sort of you know these massive strides. You know, in the last nine months, to number one, make the music. I mean, that's a whole other issue. But I mean, to make sort of high res streaming more affordable, mm-hmm. you know, which is something that really that I'm not sure that you know, Title and Cobas long term can afford. But I mean. You know, Apple Music and Amazon Music HD, you know, are now obviously offering the high res option. You know, whether I mean, I, I think Amazon's sound quality is still better than than Apple, but I, but but I mean, high res has become a bit of a buzzword, you know, in regard to the streaming services. Mm-hmm. And if and if anyone could have done the most good, and actually helped out the hi fi industry, it would have been Spotify. You know, and, and I think a lot of people were really sort of psyched that all of a sudden Spotify was going to have like their, you know, five most streamed artists, you know, Beyonce, Billie Eilish, Lana Del Rey, all kind of come out and say, you're not really listening to our music properly unless you're listening to, you know, digital streaming in 16-bit 44 or higher. And, and, the, and the only way to appreciate that is to go out and buy a better stereo. And, and, and I think a lot of companies got very, very excited. It, it was sort of like a very premature form of, you know, whatever. And that hasn't happened. And and I know that a lot of companies are kind of like, is Spotify going to actually do this or not? And, well, uh, you know, my dream is to have <laughs> Quoba's, Quoba's quality with Spotify's catalog. Right. You know, that would be a dream come true. Um, I think Spotify still has the best um, catalog out there. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, Amazon and, and Apple, I, I've tried them. They're, they seem kind of like the in-betweens, you know. Um, but, I mean, obviously the three heavy hitters are going to be Tidal, Quobuz, and and Spotify. Tidal have actually walked away from uh, just – I actually did an A and B comparison at a buddy's house not too long ago and Quoba, same song, same MQA versus Quoba's high res, you know, and Quoba sounded better. Quoba sounded a bit, not by a huge long, right, right, right. Hail Mary, it, but, but it did, you, it was noticeable to me and, and to him. And uh, we were both like, wow, that's a, uh, that's surprising that they, it was that much of a difference. difference. Now, I, I would have understood that with Spotify. I mean, I'm Spotify. So, 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 so as you correctly pointed out, I mean, so like, look, the, the, the most important thing for consumers is price. Right. So, right, so, right. so, 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 so what drives everything is price. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and Spotify does have an enormous library. Yeah. Now, now, but, 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 but I think, though, it's really dependent on the type of music that you listen to. I mean, um, I have been a title paying title customer for f- six years. Okay, and, 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 and I've I have so much music saved on title. Um, am I an MQA fan? No, not 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 really a big proponent of MQA. Mm-hmm. I, I became a uh, paying Cobas customer about two years ago, mm-hmm. and I agree with you. I actually like how Cobas sounds better than Title. Sure. Um, I'm not I'm not getting rid of Title just because of the fact that. A lot of the music that maybe I have saved on title might not necessarily exist on Cobas. Right. And and even though I'm an Apple customer for life, I mean I, I've been an 
I've been an Apple hardware customer. This, this is scary. I have been an Apple hardware customer since 1983. And I'm old enough to remember having an Apple IIe when I was a kid. I got an Apple Macintosh 128K as a bar mitzvah gift. Um, and so it's like I've, I have been a loyal Apple customer, even when Steve Jobs was driving that, you know, that company into oblivion. Um, you know, a, a lot of people who are young have no idea about the history of Apple. Like they think Apple started at the iPod and iTunes. Right. And every, right. They have no idea that Apple was like one of the most fledgling, you know, consumer electronic computer companies in the world and could barely stay afloat, you know, most of the time. And, you know, Steve Jobs, you know, obviously turned Apple into a global juggernaut. But I mean, I don't use Apple Music at all. Like it's, it's like, it's not, even though I have an iPhone and I have a MacBook Pro and an iMac and my wife has the same scenario and all of my kids have iPhones, I don't use Apple Music at all. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not on my radar. Um, I use Amazon Prime for television, for video, because of the number of series that I happen to really like on Prime, but I don't use Amazon Music HD either. So mm -hmm. for me, it's always been Tidal and Cobuzz. Right. And, and and for me, what kind of brought it all together, you know, at least on the audio from the audiophile experience, was you know I decided to sign up for Rune. Um, I absolutely love Rune as a platform. Um, I actually went, I bought a Rune Nucleus to replace the music server that I had built years ago. That was really sort of getting a little long in the tooth, and I had like so many external hard drives at this point. I had to figure out something that was neater, you know, to do it because I, I I mean because I'm I'm a CD guy too. So it's kind of like as much as I listen to vinyl like 75% of the time, um, I still have thousands of CDs. I mean, I'm 51. Yeah. I've been buying CDs since the 80s. So it's kind of like I ripped everything in stages over almost like a six-year period. Yeah. And like, and like don't, don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Do not try to spend like five years ripping 1,900 CDs to hard drives because a lot of bad things will happen along the way. And uh, so it's like I had to find like a real sort of simple integrated system that I could take one or two lacy external hard drives, plug them into like a music server that sort of was built around a platform and, mm -hmm. and, and ruin. And because I use Tidal and Cobuzz basically exclusively for streaming, you know, it took me like 10 minutes. I got everything kind of configured and all mm -hmm. of a sudden like 5000 of my saved albums on both platforms magically showed up you know uh, on rune and so it's kind of like i'm a little handy on the networking side at home so mm -hmm. the most amazing most amazing thing is like you know like like my wife hates this i said that's the biggest joke about all this i am married to a girl who absolutely despises high-end audio and video like it's it's like she kind of smiles and, and pretends not to want to throw things out the door when things arrive for review but it's like my wife loves music. She's an 80s child. You know, she's an encyclopedia of 80s music and she loves movies. Mm -hmm. But but hi-fi and expensive home theater stuff is like a really, really sore topic for her. And, and it's right, like it's the same way. Uh, yeah. And you, you know what I hear the most is uh, they sound the same to me. <laughs> and that to me like you might as well just stab me in the heart with a knife because it's okay no but okay here's the thing though okay i will say this after 23 years of writing okay i would say this though for anyone thinking about getting into hi-fi journalism mm -hmm. a 
few a few bits of bit my my wisdom. Um, writing about hi-fi for as long as I have has, in some respects, killed my enjoyment of listening to music. And I know that sounds like a really weird thing to say, but but when you listen to equipment professionally because you're writing about it, I have to focus more on the things that I'm going to put in a review as opposed to really sort of sitting back and you know just listening for the sake of pleasure. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for me, the reason why I got into high-end audio and video in the first place was that I was the type of kid growing up in Toronto that mm-hmm. I, I skipped school to go to some of Toronto's, you know, classic Art Deco theaters, so I could see. Like, and this makes my makes my parents sound like the worst parents, but I was skipping school, like in the sixth grade, in the seventh grade, to go to see like movies like Star Wars on opening day in 1977. And you know, we would not be having this conversation had I not done those horrible kid-like things because I was totally transfixed by movies. Mm-hmm. Um, music in my house was actually not even close to movies in terms of what my parents exposed us to Mm -hmm. like like my parents had a typical boring hi-fi in the 70s growing up you know they had the same 50 60 boring records edith piaf and barbara streisand and chuck mangione i was tortured as a child with that (laughs) stuff you know and but the for me my parents were really into cinema and it was a family thing to go to drive-ins. I mean, I feel fortunate that I, as a kid, I grew up, I went to drive-in movies. I went to really large 70 millimeter type movie theaters, you know, in Toronto where I got to watch Star Wars and Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark and all these sort of great classic films of the late 70s and early 80s. And that just kind of sucked me into the movie world. Um, like, like the, like my wife actually is less offended by my movie collection. I mean, I have, I, I have almost 3,700 movies at home. Uh, I, I have like my entire basement wall on one end is I had some custom bookshelves made and it's my entire movie collection going back to the late 1980s. Like that's how obsessed I am with movies. And do you still keep your VHS and all that? I, I, I have VHS. I have laser discs. Um, actually it's, it's funny you mentioned this. So um, I went to college in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and um, there was a tower video at 2000 Penn, uh, which is on the George Washington University campus. Mm-hmm. And I worked at tower video as a college student primarily because I wanted a discount you know, on movies. But at that exact time, Criterion Collection, which for those who aren't, aren't up on home theater, Criterion Collection is like an independent, um, um, I guess, movie company here based out of New York. That do restorations of classic film and it's and it's grown and, and they have a channel they have their own channel and it's like it's, it's a huge thing for cinephiles criterion collection is like the bees it's, it's like the mofi of movies mm-hmm. and um criterion collection launched with citizen kane as their first release on laserdisc and i remember as a college student i was like i guess i was 18 19 and i, w- I was working at tower and they set up this end cap next to like, you know, 20,000 movies on VHS, you know, that had never been rewound. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and as a college student, I, I was I was really bad in that way. And they had a kiosk and they had, my God, they had Citizen Kane and Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes and King Kong and like the first dozen or so titles that they released on Laserdisc. And because I was a complete idiot, I took all of my beer and drug money and just basically like bought them all up. And, and, and my parents like would come down to visit me in DC. They'd be like, you look so skinny. 
And I was like kicking the laser discs behind me because I didn't want my parents to know that I wasn't really, you know, spending out any of my extra money on food. I was buying like movies. And yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, funny you mentioned Criterion Collection because uh, the last time, I, I was probably about a month ago, I went to Barnes and Noble. They actually have a really nice selection of Criterion Collection movies. So you might want to check that out. Um, and they still have, they actually still sell vinyl and CDs at Barnes right. and Nobles, certain Barnes and Nobles. Now, let me ask you, okay, so you live in Colorado. Yeah. Okay. So, you, so you're lucky that you still have um, Barnes and Noble locations that actually still have physical media sections. Yeah. Because um, like cause here, here on the shore, we actually have quite a few Barnes and Noble locations. Um, right. I guess as, as a mild disclaimer, I worked for Barnes and Noble corporate years ago. So, you know, I, I, have, I have to leave that there and any promotion should be sort of, there's an asterisk, uh, next to that. Oh, I've heard your accolades about, uh, the, what was it? The, the nook or the, Oh my God, the nook, God. you sold 200 and some thousand copies of that thing. Okay. Okay. So it, uh, <laughs> I, I was involved. So I was involved actually with the, one of my marketing jobs in the world mm -hmm. of consumer AV, I was involved with the launch of the nook on a retail right. level. And so I sort of helped Barnes & Noble, even though I thought it was going to be a failed product, I'll be mm -hmm. really honest. I remember when they first showed the Nook to us and I was kind of like, mm, I don't know. Uh, Amazon's going to basically just give away the Kindles. And Yeah, it was uh, the inspiration to, yeah, for the Kindles to become so affordable now. Right, right. So, <laughs> But it was like one of the things I liked about Barnes & Noble is that Barnes & Noble's employees tend to be slightly older, more educated people. Right. And Barnes and Noble, you know, sort of, um, they made a lot of money at one point on physical media mm -hmm. because they sold a lot of music. They sold records, they sold CDs, they sold, um, you know, DVDs and Blu-ray discs. And locally they removed all of the physical, um, media sections from the stores here in New Jersey. And, sure. and, and, th and that was like, I, I remember that last day and they were kind of like, yeah, they're coming today to take, um, all of the, you know all the the, the physical music and, and they're going to ship it back to one of the distribution centers and just sell it online and and people were crying like they were like <laughs> so it was like that to me was a mistake I, I i think you know if you walk into any barnes and noble now that still has a physical movie music section mm -hmm. take advantage of it i do <laughs> yeah because it's like you know what and, and like the, it's not that you, look the prices are not stellar like one of the knocks against Barnes and Noble as a retailer. They're expensive. Yeah. It's, expensive. it's expensive. And you know something like it was interesting. I went into Barnes and Noble last night um, to buy my kids some books for Hanukkah because Hanukkah mm -hmm. starts on Sunday night. And, okay. and they had the Adele 30 album on display. And, and, and there's another topic. That's another topic of another show because there's some very interesting stories going around about what happened with the Adele pressing and and how other indie artists got royally screwed because the Taylor Swift and the Adele album basically got like essentially like total priority. Like they basically told plants only press Adele and Taylor Taylor Swift for the next like two weeks. Um, they were charging almost forty dollars for the Adele pressing. That's disgusting. And, and, and I kind of looked at my wife like, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I, I like Adele. I don't like her new album, but I mean, I like Adele. And, mm -hmm. I and I have her other albums on vinyl, which don't sound very good, by the way. And I'm kind of like, 40 bucks for this? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they're going to sell gazillions of copies and, 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 and no one at any pressing plant or the music label is going to care what I have to say. But 
forty dollars <laughs> for an Adele pressing is like to me is he that's one of the dangers by the way what's going on in the vinyl space like on the one hand the resurgence of vinyl over the last 10 years has been great for both you know people who listen to vinyl people who never gave up on vinyl um the turntable manufacturers but when you start to make music physical music that much more expensive to the point where it's unaffordable Mm -hmm. um you are going to eventually start to lose you know, that segment of people, because quite frankly, I mean, people who are older, who have been collecting records their entire lives, we already have 95% of the the records that we know we're ever going to own. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, we're not, we're not adding as many, even in, in my point, in my age, we're not adding as many as say younger people are right now. You might buy one here, one there, you know, if you uh, well, also because of the fact that it's sort of, I mean, look, I'm in a unique, I'm in a unique position because we get music sent to us, you know, for free. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. So, so I mean, I mean, music labels will send, you know, because we review music and we have a music section, like we'll get music from certain labels that we're very nice to with, with stories and reviews. You know, we get review copies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that obviously defrays a lot of the cost, you know, of buying records. If, you know, if you're getting like a hundred plus records sent to you every year for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sort of like, I mean, but if, I mean, I remember, I mean, we've covered record store day extensively on the website like we actually sent our writers out on record store day and everyone did their own kind of story about what it was like i mean i have a right i have a really great writer in buffalo um jeremy sakura the budget audio filer on instagram he covered record store day for us on in in buffalo Mm -hmm. i have a really great writer um in calgary who covered it in calgary our music editor lauren halliday is based in houston um our podcast producer is based in muskegon michigan and and he actually got us like an interview with a record store owner that we mm-hmm. covered in a podcast talking about the record store day experience from the side of the retailers and how not everything that glitters is gold in the world of record store day for the people who actually shell, have to shell out all that money before record store day to buy records hoping they're going to sell everything that's sort right. of another that's another part of record store day that doesn't get enough coverage um so Vinyl has become like really, really expensive. And I understand it's a supply and demand thing. And, you know, labels are only pressing, you know, so many copies of certain records. And, you know, and because the demand is so high, you know, you can charge people 30 bucks for a record now and and they don't even flinch. Um, But I mean, at some point that has to give like, like, I feel like also coming out of COVID, I think we have to look at the numbers differently because when you were stuck at home for the last 18 months, like what were you doing? You weren't traveling, right? You weren't you weren't going to see live music. Mm-hmm. You weren't going to sporting events. Um, you know, you weren't doing your normal kind of. I'm going out for going out to restaurants to have meals with my kids because all the restaurants in your town were closed. Sure. So people had a lot more. To, and also, for people who are younger who commute to their jobs in the suburbs or big cities, mm-hmm. if you weren't if you weren't spending money on gas every week and, and you weren't spending money on tolls and other things you had extra disposable income to spend on music. Right. You know, so people are trying to figure out, you know, how come Americans bought 21 million new records in the first six months of 2021? It's because people are stuck at home. And, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, I only go on vacation maybe once a year, maybe only because of the fact that I'm at that stage where I'm paying for college. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, as a, as a parent, I'm not going to not pay my kids college tuition so we can go on a, a family vacation to the Caribbean. But I mean, we go away once a year. 
we have not gone away for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, camp was a whole thing. I mean, mm-hmm. my kids go to camp, so like we didn't spend that money on camp. So all of a sudden, like if I said to my wife, like, do you care if I buy like, you know, f- these five records this week? She had no real, you know, legitimate objection to it because, you know, she wasn't writing a check for like $9,000 for day camp for, for a bunch of kids. So it was kind of like, I think a lot of people justified buying music and other things during COVID, you know, because they had that extra income. But I think now that, you know, the government's not giving people, you know, money anymore and, um, you know, people are, you know, going back to work for the first time in offices and having to commute, drive and spend money on gas and tolls and other things. Um, I suspect we're going to start to see a bit of a this in 2022 Mm. for certain things. Well, Um, a a video actually I just put out um, a couple days ago on uh, on (laughs) I I don't know why I named it this, but I named it why the music industry hates CDs and cassettes. Now, uh, one example I made in the video is the ABBA new ABBA album that came out right Uh, in its first week. uh, These are UK numbers in its first week. It did. So uh, upwards of uh, over 200,000 copies that were sold. Now, all of the news outlets, all of the reviewers, all of the everybody would only talk about the 20, I think 24 or 26,000 vinyl copies that were sold that week. The only one that uh, talked about all the numbers was now spinning UK and they sold 140,000 CDs their first week. Wow. And actually, ironically enough, 4,200 uh, cassette tapes. So now all these big artists are releasing cassette tapes. I don't know why. I'm not sure why, because there's really no company out there making brand new cassette decks right? or high-end cassette decks. You know, right. it might be something that's coming. But they're starting to make more tapes. Uh, the, the, one of the com- one of the manufacturers went from nine thousand tapes in um, a month in in two thousand nineteen to now uh, making thirty thousand a month right now. So something's happening here with physical media. So, okay, so I have two answers for you. Yeah. Um. So because because I'm I I grew up obviously as a tape kid. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who made you know mixtapes on my I, on my ghetto bla- on my ghetto blaster for girls in school, so <laughs> um, it's sort of like, okay. So number one, I think for younger listeners, it's the whole concept, and I've talked about this a lot on podcasts this year. the co- The concept of ownership mm-hmm. is very important to this generation, the, because if you think about it, people under thirty really grew up with free music, sure. starting starting with Napster. And then going into obviously iTunes, right? So, so, and stream downloads and streaming, so which are not free. But I mean, this generation didn't buy physical music, you know. So, so vinyl was their first real opportunity to buy music for themselves that they owned. And then CDs, because you know, um, use use CDs are so inexpensive, Mm -hmm. you know, they started buying use CDs. And then in terms of cassettes, it's because of the fact that a lot. Okay, so th- it's interesting. I, I had a, I did an interview with an artist um, in Nashville like two months ago, mm-hmm. and and he said to me that one of the ways that a lot of artists like him made money during the pandemic was to make it their music available on cassette and sell it online via Instagram because 
younger listeners actually had discovered their parents' old tape decks in the attic. You know, I mean, I mean, the the, the, the few of them who were lucky enough to find old Nakamichi dragons. I hate you all. Um, you know, hide, you know, hiding hiding in hiding in a box in the basement. But I mean, music on tape is also something that because it's inexpensive, you know, it's not it's not a huge outlay. And if it's coming from like an indie artist that you like, I think for a lot of these kids, it's a way of supporting those artists because mm -hmm. I think they're also cognizant of the fact that some of these indie artists don't get paid very well based on based on their streaming, you know, royalty checks. You know, so so, so if you want to support your favorite indie artist, you know, who doesn't have 500 billion, you know, streams like Adele. Um, I got some weird email this morning from Adele's PR firm talking about how wonderful it's been doing. And it's sort of like if you're not touring, because that's the other that's the other part of this. If you're a musician, you're not making money from streaming. I mean, I mean, let's just say it like it is. At I mean, all. No, I mean, titles, titles decision to change up the rules for artists on title that they announced last week was, is a really good first step. Right. But if you're an indie artist and you're used to doing 100 live shows a year and you have no shows at all during COVID, mm. how else are you making money? Right. You're selling merchandise, you're selling T-shirts and sweatshirts, and you're selling cassettes that you can have, you know, basically, um, you know, recorded and, you know, processed by like a like a plant really quickly for not a lot of money. You know, and, and it's a way to sell your music to a to a younger audience who, who are willing to spend 10 bucks on a tape. And so I think that's part of it. And then I think there's an audiophile vintage crowd. And I've seen this from our vintage articles who love the whole concept of having a tape deck in their system because like the extreme audiophile crowd, you know, who love reel to reel, you know, they're willing to go through that whole kind of craziness of having like an old, you know, Revox Studer, TAC or, um, you know, Sony reel to reel machine restored right. for, for a stupid amount of money. Right. And, you know, and then, you know, there are a few audiophile companies. I mean, like acoustic sounds sells, you know, um, reel to reel master recordings, hmm. but, they're, but they're 500 bucks each. Jesus. So it's kind of, but see, but, but I mean, but there's, there is an audience for it, but it's, you know, it's yay big, but I guess, you know, um, if Chad sells enough of them, then it's worth it for him financially to do it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you can find like used tape decks from like the late 80s and early 90s from Nakamichi, from Revox, from NAD, from Iowa, um, Pioneer, Denon. Um, you can find those products and it doesn't necessarily take a lot of money to have them like restored a little bit or have like, or just replace some of the parts, you know, that are really, I mean, because tape decks, obviously, you know, we used to play the crap, you know, out of our tape decks. Mm -hmm. and. And maybe because I'm because I was a teenager in the 1980s, I mean we used to like punch each other out, you know, in the, in the parking lot, like whose tape is going in the tape deck in so and so's Buick Skylark, you know, when, right. when, we're, when we're driving down the avenue on a Friday night. Um, that's what we knew because obviously we weren't playing CDs in our car because who the hell was rich enough to afford a car that had a CD player at that point? Sure. Um, and obviously you weren't playing vinyl in your car. And and then the, and the radio became a massive source of like fighting. You know, I don't like this channel. I don't want to listen to this band. Um, so it was sort of like tapes were what we grew up with. Mm -hmm. and, and and I see on Instagram all these like forty something plus 
guys, it's primarily guys, you know, who are like going crazy and finding all these old tape decks and having them restored. And, and, and they're like taking, like they're making Instagram videos of their, of their tape decks. And it's like, actually one of my writers, I mean, um, Jeremy's very knowledgeable on the tape deck and reel to reel side. So, 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 so he comes at it from a different perspective. Like, I mean, he really knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And, he always does videos of like one of his Nakamichi tape decks that had one of the really cool reverse kind of mechanisms. Like, like, the, like the Nakamichi 505 was one of them. The RX 505 had like this really cool thing where you get to the end of a tape and it would flip it for you. Like we would go. And, and, oh, and cool. yeah, it was very cool. But those mechanisms die. Yeah. You know, especially when they're like 40 years old and, um, so I think that the interest in tapes has to do with the two reasons that I mentioned. Um, you know, look, see, there's no reason for people not to buy CDs. Like I, like, 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 you know, like I've run a number of CD art, CD player articles in the last few months, and everyone's like, you know, why are you still writing about CDs? Like, no one cares about CDs. You well, know, you, I remember you and I had a CD article come out almost simultaneously because we probably were just uh, telepathically, uh, you know, knowing that we needed to do this. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a nobody, right? On, on audioarchitects.com, nobody ever goes on there. I had 50,000 views on this one written article I did. Yeah. And then I, and I doubled down and I'm like, okay, well, if this written article did well, let me talk about it on my, on my YouTube channel, another 40, 50,000 views on that. So over a hundred thousand views could collectively just about, five reasons why the cd should come back that's it you know so, so I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in total agreement with you from, from another reason another perspective um you know everyone loves to talk about you know how wonderful streaming is mm-hmm. but the truth of the matter is if unless you're using a decent network streamer and a decent deck <clears throat> um a, a really solid high-end cd player is going to sound better and, and, and I know no one wants me to say that because, oh, no, people won't buy network streamers. People are going to still buy network streamers. But but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of companies making really solid CD players. Um, it's actually like a, I, I think actually the last list I did for an article, um, we only covered a dozen brands. But every one right. of those brands, but every one of those brands has three or four models. Right. And, you know, it's sort of like um, like, like I remember about a week or two ago, I put a CD on for my wife. And she listened to it, and she's like, "Oh, that sounds really good." And, and then I said, "Now I'm going to play you the 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 streaming version off Kobuz through through the same DAC." So I had like right. a streamer and a, and a CD player going into the same DAC, and I played her the exact same tr- music. And my wife said to me, "The CD sounds so much better." Mm-hmm. She's like, "I don't know why, but she's like, it just sounds has more presence." She's like, "It has a little more, you know, detail." She's like, "It has a little more of a like a sort of a." Uh, I mean, she's she's not ever going to use audio file terminology, but she was sort of like <laughs> the way the way she said to me like when you, when you, when you play a record on one of your turntables, mm-hmm. and I can really sort of feel the music in the room, like it really it's really engaging, and I'm really drawn into it in a, in a very different way. Right. She said when I was listening to the to the stream. It almost felt like background music, hmm. and she and she said the CD didn't sound as good as the record, but definitely preferred it to the streaming version. And mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting that my wife, who literally thinks that, like as you pointed out, everything sounds the same. Um, you know, every pair of speakers is just uglier than the next. And well, you, know, you, you would have died the other night when I I, I put the the Arias on her on, on her head, and I'm like, what do you think of these? 
She's like, oh, well, the, the bass is nice, but my my little Samsung earbuds sound almost the same. <laughs> I literally almost di- I almost died that night. Like, I was like, what? what? But if you know, though, in, in all fairness to her, <laughs> I don't know, because you know what it is? Look, if you've never experienced, like, or if you didn't grow up, you know, with sort of like hi-fi in your house, mm-hmm. or it wasn't a priority for you, or if you're of a certain generation where, you know, s- some marketing person stuck a pair of beats in your face and said, these are the best headphones you can buy. Right. Um, and, and even if they were $14.95 pieces of crap made in China, you know, which is, you know, pretty much how much beats cost to manufacture. Um, <laughs> actually, actually, the real number. Actually, um, how they but, sound as well. <laughs> right. But, 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 if, but if that's what you know, mm-hmm. and that is your point of reference, it's not logical to think that that person is going to go from A to Z sure. in just like 12 seconds and say, oh, these are so much better. Like, like yeah. my, I, I had a similar thing with my kids because I'll get like headphones for review and I'll let each of them try them. And I'm just curious to, to see like what their reaction is. And for the most part, they're like, sounds good, heavy. Can't believe anybody would wear these for more than five minutes. Uh, how much are these? Oh my God. Like the, Actually, my my son, my son, I had a pair of headphones come that I won't name that were very expensive, and I let him try them, and he said these don't sound any better than my five hundred dollar Odyssey gaming headphones, and and I said, well, these cost like three times the price of that, and he looked at me, he's like, what kind of idiot would spend fifteen hundred dollars on headphones? I could buy a kick ass gaming PC for that kind of money with like a twenty seven inch, and and he he was like, he's not lying. Yeah, and, 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 he's, and he's sort of like your generation are idiots. Like, like he's sort of like who would spend fifteen dollars, fifteen hundred dollars on headphones? And I didn't have a great comeback for him mm-hmm. because it's kind of hard to you know say to a fifteen year old, yeah, fifteen hundred dollar headphones are normal, and you know especially when like you know, as a parent, you know, Jewish guilt is the best thing in the world. And and whenever my kids complain about anything, I'm like, "Do you know how expensive Hebrew school is? Do you know how much money we spend like every month to send you kids to Hebrew school?" And he looks at me, he goes, "Let me guess. It costs as much as a pair of your speakers in the living room." And I'm like, "Exactly." And, and you know, so it's like for me it's I I I kind of get I, the other thing that has changed for me is that I look at price performance now in mm-hmm. a very different way than I did when I first started writing reviews, right. um, primarily because of a lack of experience, sure. but also because of the fact that now having reviewed that many things over 23 years, um, I know which brands offer like serious, you know, performance for the money. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of roll my eyes when certain companies, you know, send us a press release and say, oh, our brand new $18,000 preamp is going to like change your life. And I'm kind of like, Hmm. Um, I'm not really sure who in my audience is going to care about that, but you know, it, it's it's just see that to me is just like one of the things that I hope that you guys on YouTube, because you're obviously you're much more involved on the YouTube side. Right. Um, I really hope that this generation of YouTube reviewers takes to heart all of the mistakes that the traditional hi-fi press have made over the last thirty years, because it's our fault. And, and, and I take responsibility on whatever small level I can as a single reviewer or writer. It's our fault for basically writing nonstop. I, I don't want to use the word drivel, but, but maybe drivel is the right word. Um, 
writing nonstop about how wonderful everything is and how, you know, every brand is fabulous and there's no such thing as a bad product. You know what? There are. And, and, and there's also products that are an outrageous waste of your money. Like if you bought this $1,000 ant from brand X, you're getting 90% of the performance of this $2,000 blah, blah, blah from brand B. And, and telling people that unless you drop $5,000 on a turntable, you're not a serious, you know, vinyl listener. That's, that's horse shit. I mean, 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 I mean just, just from the YouTube side of it there, I think a lot of us are very, very different from one another. Um, some people do it for different reasons. You know, some okay. people, some people make it into a business and want to, you know, like the Andrew Robinsons of the world and the John Darko's of the world and stuff like that, who, who have hit, you know, a hundred thousand, 200,000 plus subscribers. They're kind of just coasting now and, and just seeing those checks come in so they can do whatever they want and say whatever they want. And I, I recently actually saw Robinson kind of cut down a, uh, I'm not going to say which company I don't want to get involved in this, but he cut down a product and I was like, wow, like that's pretty I'm, brave, man. You're pretty I'm brave. Very, I'm very aware of which video that you're referring to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, I, I actually reviewed the, <laughs> the, the second predecessor to that sound bar that he reviewed, but um, I, I liked it. I thought it was fine. But uh <laughs> My whole thing is, is I'm still new to it. You know, I only have what, six, almost 7,000 subscribers, um, which I think is cool because I have kind of a tight knit community and I actually convert, you know, I, I've seen my, my efforts allow these products to convert for these companies, which is, which is really cool to see someone say on like just, just the other day, I got a comment saying, Hey man, I saw your video. I decided to go with this product because of your video. And I'm like, well, hell, I, I did my job, you know, like, I right. guess. Cool. Um, I have a kind of a policy that I've, I've had it in the past, but um, I have not released a video or a, a product review where I've bashed the product. Uh, I, I do talk about some of their shortcomings and I have done that with uh, like, uh, uh the, the fives. I, I you know, I, I, I voice my opinion about that. And there's some, a few more products I voice my opinion on. However, I have not just bashed a product. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, if, if I really, really don't like a product, I'd rather talk to the company directly and say, Hey, look, this is what I felt about your product. I don't really want to publish this because you know, listening and music and, and sound is very subjective. So someone else, like if I send it over to Ian, he might think it's it's the best thing in the world just because my ears don't like it, you know? So I, I would definitely tell them that, you know, there's a problem. I feel there's a problem. However, um, you know, moving forward, I I don't know. I'm just kind of iffy about that. But I know it's something I'm going to have to do in the near future. Oh, for uh, sure. Eventually. And, and yeah. it's, it's, it's just like a stepping stone. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll make this observ observation as someone who doesn't really have much of a YouTube profile. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean we, we broadcast, you know, the occasional live YouTube events and, you know, we, we put our podcast with video on YouTube, but, but, but we don't really do YouTube videos yet per se. Right. Um, I kind of segment out the YouTube sort of, video reviewers in different ways. Like, um, I will say that in the case of John Darko and Steve Guttenberg, 
both of the, I mean, Steve, Steve in particular, Steve has been writing about hi-fi for longer than some of the audience have been alive. Right. So, I mean, so if someone said to me, you know, what do you think about the audiophiliac? I would say that would be one of the channels. If you were asking me that, I think you're getting a no bullshit. Steve knows what he's talking about. He's not blowing smoke up your behind kind of review. Steve knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, he really, I mean, first of all, he's, he's as nice in real life as he appears in the videos. He's, he's a really, really good guy, but he worked in high end audio retail for so long. I mean, he could probably do a book about like some of the things that he's seen. St Steve's channel is also Steve, Steve's videos are approachable. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, like, like, I mean, like the fact that he does it in his apartment in Brooklyn, you know, and he's not trying to, you know, do like these fancy, you know, pans across his, you know, nouveau living room and stuff like that. Um, you know, S Steve is authentic, you know, mm -hmm. and I think something I've learned I've w watching videos on YouTube, the YouTube audience is actually really smart. I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of dickheads on YouTube, but, but but at the end of the day, the YouTube audience knows when a reviewer is kind of blowing smoke up their ass. And, mm -hmm. and all, all, all he's really doing or she is doing is a commercial for the brand as opposed to, you know, an actual review. So, you know, Steve, Steve gets top marks. I mean, his I, I watch every one of his videos. Um, I really, really enjoy his channel. And actually, similarly, um, you know, John Darko started as a hi-fi magazine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, you know, and he I mean, he started when he was still living in Australia. Um, he's a good writer. I mean, John, John, John's, you know, John's pretty crafty with the pen and, you know, he created sort of a following, you know, just based on his writing, and, right. you know, and, and, and he came at it very, very objectively. Like one of the things that I've always liked about John's writing is the fact that, you know, he does comparisons with multiple things in, in, in sort of a, within the context of a review. So you actually have context when he says that this amplifier is great. He compares it to five other things within the same sort of price range. So you, you kind of walk away with more knowledge than you thought you were going to get. Um, I really like the video quality of his like the, the, the of his videos. I mean, I actually find me when I watch them, you know, I feel like, you know, every every inch of his you know, apartment in Berlin. And, you know, and, and he has a very, very good sort of cinematographer, you know, who shoots his videos for him. You know, right. but, but 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 John John puts an enormous amount of work into his videos, mm -hmm. you know? And then I think like you kind of flip over to someone like Zeos and, and, I, and I know I'm going to get killed for, I'm not really bashing Zeos because I find him entertaining, but, but I remember when he first started and he had his apartment, I don't know where, he, I don't even know where he lives, but right. like he had like this mat, he has this really messy apartment and he had like hundreds of components everywhere in his apartment. And he has this cat. Uh, I think his cat's, his cat's name is Chewbacca or something like that. Mm -hmm. and, and it was like, I was I was so confused by the things that he was speaking about because I was kind of like, okay, like, like you're, you're not wrong in some of the things you're describing that you're hearing, but totally lacking in, in terms of a professionalism in regard to the videos. Right. And, the, his know, delivery was very, very odd. Yeah, it was very odd. And, and look, it worked for him because his channel or channels at this point, you know, are, are enormous. And I know I noticed that he seemed to have purchased a very large house from his revenue. God bless him from his YouTube. Um, you know, but then there's like, I, I don't know, I, I, I watch a lot of these sort of video channels. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you come at it from a very, very good place because I think you're, you're coming at it without having been jaded. And, and I think, you know, you, you're not sort of, what's the word? 
you haven't been bought off. That's a nice way of putting it. You know, you, you come across as, uh, as authentic as someone who actually cares about like the end product, you know, mm -hmm. how, how your opinion of a product is perceived. Because as you said, like when, when you did your piece about CD players, you were shocked by how many people actually read it and then right. came back, you know, and then came back to YouTube. So, I mean, you have power to either help a manufacturer or really hurt a manufacturer, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the things also that I think is unique about YouTube is that, you know, I write a review of, let's say, a pair of headphones, okay? Mm -hmm. Brand is hopefully going to sell some headphones from the review, which makes us look good in the eyes of the manufacturer, but right. it's, not, it's not moving nearly as much potential product as a video review. Sure. You know, so when you do a review of a pair of speakers or, or you know, John does a review of a, of a digital streamer or Steve Gutenberg, uh, Guttenberg does a review of an amplifier, your impact is enormous. And, and, and I don't want to use like the Spider-Man thing, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. But um, YouTube has the potential to really help brands, but it also has the potential to really hurt, especially smaller brands. Mm -hmm. you know, because if you're a small company and you're putting a lot of your sort of hopes and dreams and a bunch of really positive, you know, YouTube you know, reviews there, there's a danger to that. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen more than a few companies in my day back when they were relying on print reviews, mm -hmm. all their put all their stock into two or three magazines saying all the nice fluffy things about their products. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden all these orders came flooding in. And then like a year later, the company was gone. Well, you'd be surprised how many, and obviously at this point, I'm not going to name any names, but how many companies, how many, uh, you know, online magazines or whatever are, are just completely bought and paid for by, by ad revenue. Um, and a lot of them are throwing in, you know, a few puff pieces about products from that same company. And I've seen this, I mean, I've seen this, physically like I've, I've seen it happen and I'm like, damn, uh, you know, how are you supposed to trust anybody at this point? You know, I mean, if, if one can be bought, another one can be bought and another one can be bought if the price is right, you know? So that's why I, what I do appreciate about you is same, the same way. I, I think you're very authentic. I Thank think you. Uh, you I, know, try. Yeah, <laughs> I try people, people like you, people like Darko, people like, well, you and Darko, uh, you guys come off as very authentic, very matter of fact, you know, <clears throat> and um, that's one thing I, I, I really didn't, you know, I, I think that's one thing acoustics was missing was that authenticity and that character and that personality, you know? Well, uh, I, I would say, I would say in Brian, in Brian's case, Brian is as Brian's very authentic and Brian is very, very legit and honest. Like I would say, I'll be honest with you. I've worked with a lot of editors and publishers over the years. Mm -hmm. Brian is as straight and honest as they come. So, you know, a, a shout out to my boss. Um, I mean, he hasn't lasted for 23 years because he's been taking money under the table from people. I can tell you that. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, but I would say, so part of the problem with the hi-fi industry and the press um, is that um, the high-end audio industry is really small. Right. And, and like any small industry where, you know, a relationship can help or tank a brand. I mean, I, I think, you know, readers and viewers on YouTube aren't aware of sort of, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word incestuous relationships between media companies and, but I mean, it exists. 
I mean, I mean, and, and to pretend that it doesn't exist is just a lie. So no, so so so, so anybody who thinks that like Hi-Fi magazine reviewers don't have a lot of friends on the manufacturing side, you know, I'm going to burst that bubble for you. I mean, we, we, we when you write about the same topic for 23 years, um, you make friends, you make enemies, you you know, there are certain PR people who become sort of like your lifeline of product, mm-hmm. and you know, you are going to show love you know, to the brands that actually show, show love back to you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and the one thing actually that I will say is that, you know, one of the things that I think that there is a danger with any hi-fi publication, and, and this did not happen at Gear Patrol because Gear Patrol's, mm-hmm. um, you know, the separation of editorial and advertising was very defined. Mm-hmm. And, and there were numerous instances where I would write about brand X and they would say, you know, how much is advertising? on gear patrol mm-hmm. and i would and the only thing that i was allowed to do was to effectively say to an editor at gear patrol there's a company interested in potentially advertising i have no idea what they want um i'm going to give you their email address and that's where it ended mm-hmm. and you know gear patrol did not compensate any writers based so if i brought in an advertiser who spent a million dollars i didn't make one penny off that so it, it so gear patrol had a very very clearly set you know, you, you shall never cross this line. Hmm. And so, gotcha. you know, so, so that's one thing I will say in, about Gear Patrol. Gear Patrol does not let its writers sort of bring in, you know, the advertisers and, you know, profit off that sort of behind the scenes. That that, that does not exist. Um, um, but in terms of like smaller hi-fi magazines, I mean, obviously, you know, magazines only exist if they have revenue. And, and unless you're independently wealthy and you can afford to run a hi-fi magazine, you know, and you don't care, it's, it's like your hobby, basically it's your hobby. You know, it's not really your job. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's the reason why I've had a day job <laughs> for all these decades that I've been a hi-fi writer, because even with the amount of work that I produce, mm-hmm. um, you know, no one's making like a massive amount of money writing about hi-fi. And, and if you are, um, you know, either you're making it from affiliate sales that you're getting for your reviews, which I do not, um, or, you know, the magazine might, but I'm, you know, I mean, I mean, maybe I guess you could say that goes to pay my salary every month. But I mean, but but I'm not making a percentage from anything that anyone buys, you know, directly from a review, and really, it has no impact on what I say because I've I, I've written some really bad things about brands over the years who don't talk to me anymore, and and, and I'm perfectly and I'm perfectly fine with that, <laughs> because, because, you know, because at the end of the day, um, I don't have enough financial skin in the game to you know have to worry that writing a lukewarm product of a product that probably didn't even deserve a, look, a lukewarm review, you mm-hmm. know, is going to, you know, tank my finances. Sure. Um, you know, so for me, you know, it's a job. I'm an editor. I mean, I'm a writer, obviously, because I'm producing a ridiculous amount of content right now. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I want to just turn a lot more younger people onto hi-fi. And, you know, I never went into it thinking, oh, I'm going to make so much money writing about high-end audio. I mean, I mean, I mean, if that's your thing, that you think you're going to go into writing about hi-fi or making, you know, tremendous YouTube videos and become rich, um, the amount of work that goes into that requires that to be your full-time job. Like, right. um, actually, like, for example, I'm, I don't know if you know Ron Bernay from New Record Day? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Ron and I have talked before. Okay, so I, I've actually been friends with Ron longer than he's had a YouTube channel. Oh, wow. And, okay. And so Ron is a really solid guy. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, a little shout out for a new record day. He actually, the family just went through a horrible bout with COVID. 
I heard about um, that. Yeah. yeah so, and, yeah. You know, and, and Ron is the type of guy who basically quit his day job mm-hmm. to make hi fi reviewing his full time gig. Right. And, and Ron works insanely hard to make the kind of videos that he has on his channel. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he, you know, he comes at this from the perspective as a professional and, you know, right. and someone who wants to produce the best, no bullshit reviews that he can for his particular audience. Right. And so I have, I have respect for what he does because I know that Ron is not sitting there under the table getting envelopes from brands. I mean, he's basically, he's basically making money off what, what he's earning off is, you know, his YouTube right. you know, performance. And if his videos suck and no one watches his videos, he doesn't make a living and he has to have another day job. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, Ron, Ron, Ron is legit. <clears throat> I mean, the way that he talks about audio, you know, I mean, it's, it's from his, like both his listening experience, but also from, you know, his heart, he's not mm-hmm. sitting there saying, well, I better say nice things about brand X. So they're not going to give me another product to review next month. Um, you know, Ron, Ron isn't like that. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what it boils down to is the, like I said, the authenticity and, and uh and really putting yourself out there but you know when, when you're new you know like me and like a lot of others that are just trying to kind of test the waters it's find your voice it, yeah, it, yeah it's kind of hard it's been kind of hard for me so I, I would say the most important thing okay so i mean i i've seen a lot of your instagram content you know and, and you do a fantastic job on instagram like like i like i kind of like whenever i see your posts i'm always like kind of digging a little deeper into it. you know like I, I take my phone my antiquated you're all gonna laugh like this is this is the most embarrassing thing to probably end with but i use an i use an iphone 6s um i i just i don't know the cell phone thing i just don't care about mm-hmm. um but but it's kind of like you know i'll i'll go on instagram i have to say continue building your audience on instagram Mm-hmm. Because I think you're really good with sort of how you're framing your images and the way that you set up your shots and sort of the way that you're sort of engaging people, you know, with the topics that are contained within that actual post. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, that that's look, as I said, at the very beginning to sort of do well in high five publishing in 2021, you have to do three things. Well, you know, you, you have to do the writing side, the video side and the social media side. You know, and I think you're already well on your way in terms of your uh, YouTube and your social media side. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's just, you know, as you said, you know, be yourself. You know, there's there's nothing worse. I mean, I guess I, I don't want to drag anyone into this conversation, but there's nothing worse than appearing to be such a self-righteous phony baloney on a YouTube video. And, right. and, and I just, you know, there are certain YouTube channels that I just don't watch only because of the fact that, you know, that I'll watch someone's video and then their PR person will write me privately. Like, did you just watch so-and-so's video? And I'm like, so now, honestly, I'm like so busy. I don't have time to watch like that many videos in a week. They said, no, just watch this video and I'll watch a video and I'll say, what's the problem with it? And they're like, oh, the, the, my, my client is livid. Like they're, they're, they're going nuts. Um, you know, so it's sort of like, just be authentic because like I said, people can smell the bullshit a mile away. And at the end of the day, if they think that you're being honest with them, because that's the other thing, do not lie to your audience. Do do not say, oh, these are the best speakers I've ever heard. They're so wonderful. And my God, I I practically had an orgasm listening to them. 
no one no one buys no one buys that shit i i i'm sorry like i i hate to swear but it's like you know it's just no one buys that like i mean the the, the audience is a little more sophisticated than you think mm-hmm. and because you're not the only option or game in town they can always go and you know watch someone else's videos right you know, so, so you know, just be yourself i mean my god like i mean, I mean with all the technology that we have you know, you know, being yourself should actually be, you know, easy and come to people naturally, but it just doesn't. I make mean, the whole, the whole selfie as I hit my microphone, the, the, the whole selfie thing drives me crazy. Like I see my kids walking on the street and they, they pause and they take their phone and they stick it forward and they take a selfie of themselves. And I'm like, what are you doing? And, and as the father of girls, because I, because I have two girls and I'm kind of like, I don't like this. I don't want I don't want grown men gawking at my children on social media. Like it, it drives that's, me up the wall. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's just in terms of like find your voice, find this. Oh, that's the other thing. Don't try to be everything to everybody. Hmm. It's better to be sort of I guess respected for your knowledge for a specific section of the market, and then the things that really you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. than trying to be a generalist and cover every goddamn thing that you can. Because at the end of the day, you know, like I said, there's there's literally hundreds and hundreds of hi-fi sites. You know, there's this point, God knows how many YouTube channels and there's, you know, dozens of podcasts. Um, you know, just be yourself and focus on the things that you feel that like when you talk about them, you know, the audience is going to say, yeah, like Michael knows what I'm talking about. Like he kind of understands where I'm coming from, you know, in regard to this. And, you know, just, you know, in, like, Engagement is the big word, you know. You, you get, like, I, mean, I, I had a call with a company last week on the advertising side, and they were sort of like, you know, what are your engagement metrics and blah 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 blah. And, and it's like at some point in the conversation, I kind of just passed it off to someone else because, you know, uh, I had gone through and created all these, you know, um, spreadsheets for them and blah blah blah. But like, I don't know. It's the, the 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 media world has become very 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 high pressure, and it's like you know brands want to know like to the last person you know who clicked you know, who clicked that video and where did they go after they watched that video and you know and it's legitimate because obviously <clears throat> they're spending money you know with you. Well, with here's the thing about certain once again not going to name any names, but there are certain executives within uh, certain audio brands that just look at the numbers just look at how many subscribers you have how much you know how how many views you're getting and that's how they gauge whether they work with you or not correct and what they don't understand is the micro channels are actually almost as effective as these massive channels because the people that are you know 10,000 or less or 20,000 or less subscribers those people want to be there Right. You know, those are the first like those are the found that's the foundation of, of, of the channel. So those people actually want to be there. They're not there just because it's cool to be there. They're not there because they're popular. You know, obviously, if you see these big, huge juggernaut channels that people just click subscribe because everybody else is doing it. But to have to, to really engage someone and bring them in at such a small scale, um, <clears throat> like I said before, I. I the Vincent audio uh, video I did, I had a guy email me and say, Hey, I just bought, you know, because of this video, I bought a pair of these Vincent audios. I, I didn't get anything from Vincent audio. I didn't right. make, honestly, I didn't even make any money off the, off the, off the video because it only got like a thousand views. So it really, to me, I didn't, I didn't win, but the fact that they did 
will will hopefully resonate in their minds if for future for future yes. endeavors. You know, so because you've built up this crazy thing called trust with right. the viewer. Right. And so it's sort of like if you don't steer them wrong, they'll continue to come back and then they'll say, yo, you know what? I was watching this video of this guy and he, he talked about this product and I bought it on his recommendation and he was dead on and you might find him interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, you know so I, I mean, I mean, look, it's social, social media numbers are in many ways a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, I mean, just the fact that I mean, basically, I mean, if, if, if our if our worth to society is based on the number of people who follow us on social media, then I'm totally screwed. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I don't want to say to my kids, like, your, your dad sucked at his job. But but, but at the end of the day, you know, um, you can't base your entire, you know, influence over people as a journalist, just based on the number of followers you have on Twitter and, you know, on Facebook and Instagram. I mean, marketers will be, well, no, that's exactly what we care about. Um, I, I think building up, building up trust with an audience and having, you know, a group of people who legitimately will come back every week and watch or listen to what you have to say um, is better than having, you know, I mean, I also, um, the, the whole audio forms thing on the internet. Um, we haven't really talked about this, but just, you know, there are a lot of websites that are on, um, that are very popular in terms of traffic. They're mm. like the audio, the audio forms, you know, any site that basically, you know, is, is a form and I'm not going to name one, any in particular, but I mean, their traffic is very inflated for the same, for the simple reason that you have the same group of people coming back 100 times a day. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, it's almost like you're, you know, these people exist within their own little vacuum. And, you know, and there's one particular site, you know, a product's worth as a hi-fi component is based entirely on measurements. You know, so it's kind of like, look, do measurements matter? Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't buy stuff from companies that, that measures like it was made like in their garage with a bunch of spare parts. Right. Um, I, I mean, look if you're spending X amount of dollars on a component, it should measure well. It should sure. have quality engineering behind it and, and it should not look like when, when, when they're doing tests, um, you know, it should not look like your grandmother put it together, you know, at the dinner table. Right. But that being said, um, over the years, I have reviewed products that I know measured on the average side, you know, like, I mean, they, they, they didn't necessarily stink from a measurement perspective, but they didn't necessarily deliver maybe what the, the manufacturers claiming, you know, in their marketing literature, mm-hmm. but did it sound good for some, for, for some particular products? Yeah. They sounded really good. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, and I mean, I mean, over the years I reviewed a lot, I've, I've reviewed a lot of tube amplifiers. Okay. And, and, and I know that a lot of tube amplifiers might not necessarily measure all that well. They're, and, yeah, they're, they're unpredictable with the measurements, you know, and, and, and I've and I've owned a few esoteric tube amplifiers over the years made by people who actually do know what they're doing and mm-hmm. people who are actual en- audio engineers who, you know, spend a lot of time in school to learn their craft. And, sure. you know, their measurements in some magazines came up on this sort of, ugh, I don't know, it's kind of kind of it's kind of sketchy looking. Mm-hmm. But then when I listen to those components at home. I enjoy listening to music through them so much that I don't really care that much anymore about that part of it. And, and, and I guess I get nervous when I see any website and, and not necessarily even audio science review or any other form um, when they have 
that kind of power that they can basically say, well, I did a test on product X. It didn't measure, you know, to, to a level that I think is, you know, great. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, I think it's a piece of crap and no one should buy it. Right. So, so that's one person's opinion. Mm -hmm. and, and I think consumers have to be a little smarter. And I think you should never buy, first of all, never buy anything because one person said to you that it was that it was great. I mean, God, honestly, anyone who reads my reviews, I really hope you're watching like, you know, your video review of the same product and and Steve Guttenberg's sure. and Steve Guttenberg's video. Because you know what? You might find 10 different opinions about said more, product. More often and, than not, they, they, they do align, you know, to a, to a certain extent. Like you might like some different, you know, uh, characteristics about the product. I might like certain other ones. But for the most part, I've noticed that a lot of people's reviews and, you know, they, they, they sort of align a little bit, at least to the point where it's either a go or it's a, a no, you know. So – uh, but then again, you're right. I have seen some that are told polar opposites. Some people love a product. The other person hates it. So it's just a matter of at that point, it's going to be a matter of the audience and who they trust more, you know, and who they align with more as far as their listening. I think once people see enough, you know, enough of someone's reviews and, and someone's uh, opinions, right, right. Kind of form that conclusion that, okay, this guy's got a similar listening style to me. He likes, yes. yeah. he so, likes so, more yeah. bass, treble or, you know. See, 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 that's also very important is that readers have to remember mm -hmm. that we don't all listen to the same music. Right. So, so that, that's the other thing that doesn't get mentioned enough. We all have totally different tastes in music. Right. And, and we also obviously don't have the same listening spaces. Right. So I, I remember once when I first started writing many years, my God, almost a quarter of a century ago. That's frightening. Um, I went to a very famous reviewer's house, and I won't say who, who it was. So someone in the print world who was considered to be like, like basically everyone lived and died off of his words. Sure. And, and I was shocked when I went into his listening room because it was so small. Mm -hmm. and, and the speakers that he had in that room were so enormous and so clearly inappropriate for that listening space like they literally needed a room twice the size to even you know be positioned properly right so that so that made me question anything that i read from this reviewer ever again because i, I realized that number one if this is their reference point mm -hmm. um then we're, we're, we're operating on two completely different planes and right you know, so, so you kind of have to find a reviewer who, who i think both listens to a similar type of music that you enjoy Mm -hmm. has a similar style of listening like, like, like the, that's the other thing that doesn't get discussed a lot in reviews how loudly do reviewers listen to music um you know because i can tell you that when i was younger i listened to speakers shitload louder than i do now and, and and it's kind of like and it's not even because i mean i get my hearing tested pretty frequently it's yeah. not that my hearing has dropped in terms of you know quality that much in the last 10 years but it, it started to drop i'm not going to pretend you know that my top end sort of you know listening perception hasn't dropped a little bit with age um but some reviewers listen to music at like crazy you know volume levels mm. and other and other reviewers listen to music at much lower volume levels right so so like so you kind of have to like do digging on your own and as you said you kind of have to kind of get to know the reviewer and, and you, and you kind of have to sort of see if their priorities and their values align with your own. 
because sure. like you know, like why are you reading a review of some dude who only reviews classical music at like very low listening levels in a room that's you know 70 by 30 right um if you're, you're living in an apartment where your biggest space is 20 by 16 and you enjoy listening to indie, indie rock at 103 db uh, it, it, it's you know, I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense it yet. doesn't make any sense you know so so you have to kind of like actually do a little homework as a reason, that's the thing is because because people are lazy on a good day, right? So 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 like you'll watch a review and someone will say, "Oh, these are like okay." So like Steve Gutenberg's videos, you know, are obviously done within the context of his living room in his apartment in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So you should have at after all these years of him doing video reviews, you know, a a real proper context. In regard mm-hmm. to how he is describing the sound that he is getting from the products under review, because like you're seeing, you know, sort of the space where he exists, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you've met you've met his really nice wife. He has the nicest wife, by the way. You know, so like you 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 sort of you see the space that he's listening to the products, and you can kind of conceptualize in your head at what levels living in an apartment in Brooklyn, Steve is reviewing products at, mm-hmm. and, and as long as you remember A, B, C, and D, and the type of music. That Steve listens to, you mm-hmm. can make you can make a better buying decision based on what he's telling you. You know, so it, yeah. I, I just think that like you can't be lazy. I mean, like really, right. you can't be lazy as, as a reader or someone who's re- researching anything to buy. Like, I mean, do you just go willy nilly and buy a freaking car because some dude on Road and Tracks, you know, wrote a ten page thing of this car? No. Right. You go, you go to the car dealership and you get in the car and you, and you drive it for an hour and you press every stupid button in the car and you see if your phone syncs up with the Bluetooth and you, you know, you, and as a man, you pop open the hood and you, oh, yeah. you, you take it's a, a look process, at the, it's a process for sure. You know, so yeah, I, I, I just think that readers have to be a little more involved and you can't be lazy and say, well, he said it was a good speaker, and I and I think he's full of crap because I I listened to it somewhere at my friend's house and listening to it with a totally crappy system, and I didn't like it, so he's full of crap. No, I mean, and that's another thing that I think is an advantage of print print reviews is that uh, all these print writers don't have to deal with the the uh, you know floodgates opening of trolls of of all these people that come just mm-hmm. just to, just to, just to insult them and, and, and insult their opinion. And I, I've only experienced it in a very small, small way. I know there are other reviewers out there, obviously the bigger ones that have probably dealt with it a lot more than me. Oh my God. If I showed you the back end of our website and the messages and spam and things that I have to delete on, on, on a daily basis, you would laugh. It's <laughs> crazy how people have that kind of time to hate, you know? Yes. Yeah, I know. Because, 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 because we're talking about hi-fi equipment. Right. We're not we're not talking about the machine to hook up to grandma, you know, to to, to keep her alive. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of like yes, the audio file audio files need to take a massive chill pill. Right. And, and remember that the sun will still rise in the morning if the speakers that you bought last Tuesday, you know, don't float your boat to the point, you know, that you're in ecstasy all the time. Um, you know, it's I mean that's sort of part of the thing is that audio files take this so seriously yeah. that that it's sort of like they suck the joy and i started i told you that in the beginning writing about hi-fi can suck the joy out of this for you yeah you know so, so when, when you said to me like where do i see myself in five years i sort of know where i'm going to be in five years mm-hmm. but 
and it, and it won't be because of the fact that I hate writing. I'll definitely still be writing, but I'll just be doing a different type of writing. I'm right. Not giving, not giving anything away there, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, but but I find that when I review, that like I don't love things the way that I used to. Yeah, because your listening is becoming evaluative instead of enjoyable. And you it's know, just, you know, and and it's just like like when I like I went to see Ghostbusters Afterlife um, <sighs> after this after the Sabbath on on Saturday night, and, oh, and, and you know, and like my son, my son actually turned to me at the very end of the movie, and he looked at me, he's like, "Are you crying?" Oh, I'm I like, cried. I, I'm, I, like, I'm, I, I'm like, I'm not oh, crying. I will be the first to admit I cried. I cried at at, at third act yeah. throughout the whole oh, third yeah. act. Yeah, you know. Uh, it's Damn, a very fun, it's a very fun movie. That was a great movie. Yeah, man. I know. I know. I, I was, I was on it. Well, yeah, I went and saw it Thursday night, right when it came out, the uh, opening night, and oh man, dude, I was just so stoked. I was I was excited they used uh, the characters they used. Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, yeah, yeah, no spoilers. No I think spoilers. you and I, I think you and I need to do a spoiler rich video and just talk about everything about this movie here soon. It was hey, uh, it, it was good. If you're a Ghostbusters fan from the 1980s and like, you know, the the whole concept of what made the made what made Ghostbusters so much fun to watch, um Ghostbusters Afterlife is a surprisingly tight movie that oh, yeah, totally panders to the fans for sure. Oh, oh, oh yeah, and like, you know, and then like my kids were like, are we going out to Target to get some like Stay Puff marshmallows or something like that? And I was like if only they sold those kids. If only they sold. Oh those man, kids. that would be so cool. But hey, and we gotta get. I gotta. Well, I gotta wrap yeah. things up. It's this is supposed to be a thirty-minute thing. It's an hour and forty-six <laughs> minutes. But hey, I've had a great time talking to you. I think I yeah, same here. More often, um, everybody check out. Make sure to check out acoustic acoustics Correct. Correct. Yes, and and our our podcast is on Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, and Google. Whatever the Google podcasting is there too. Right on. Well, maybe I'll maybe I'll make it on there with you guys one of these days. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you know what? We should have you on for our for our pre Christmas show. There we go. That sounds like a good time. Um, Yeah, I want to thank you for your time, Ian. And um, yeah, everybody, tune in. I'm going to try to start doing these a lot more often, uh, these hi-fi hour things. Uh, this will be available not only on YouTube, but uh, via po- via podcast. Yeah, via podcast on Spotify, Google, exactly. uh, iHeartRadio, all the all those, all those all that fun stuff through Anchor. So um, you guys will be able to consume this both physically and audibly. Um, thank you so much again, Ian. Oh, and- thanks for having me. And uh no, actually, um, we'll probably see you in person at the show Denver. Next yeah, year. possibly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure if, it, if I'm still living in Denver, I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, all right, guys, we'll, we'll see you next time.